You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. What's going on, Asbury University? Yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you, uh, Madeline. Thank you uh, to each of you for who have been so hospitable um, since I arrived yesterday. I, you know, I was here last year in October, and you know, they say you get invited back to a place generally for two different reasons. Uh, one, you did so poorly the first time, <laughs> right? Like they feel sorry for you and uh, they give you a second chance to kind of uh, redeem yourself. Or, you know, the second option is maybe the Lord used you in some kind of way and, uh, and you were a blessing. So I hope, I hope it was the latter and not the former. Amen? Um, but it's, it's good to be back. As, as I was preparing to come back with you today, I began to ask God, like, what, you know, this is the first week back for this semester. Like, what, what is something significant that you uh, want uh, spoken that you want reflected on at this particular uh, part of the journey uh, this year. And this is kind of where I landed. You know, I was uh, thinking of and reflecting on something that happened to me recently where I was uh, rushing. And, you know, sometimes I'm not always on time. And so I have to rush to get on time. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you were doing that this morning, coming to chapel, right? Like, like trying to get there. And over the course of the efforts of trying to uh, be effective at, at doing what I felt like I was supposed to do that day, I, I had a moment where I felt like God told me to stop. And I paused. And I began to look around me. And I noticed uh, a senior couple holding hands on a bridge. I stopped and I saw a child with a flower in their hands. I stopped and I, and I saw a couple on a bench. I stopped and I saw someone else standing by a pole weeping. And I thought to myself, man, like if I had not stopped, I would not have seen these people. And, and although what I was going to do was important, and although like being late uh, would have been devaluing to the people that I was going to see, I, I had a moment of pause to realize I was missing what was right, what was right in front of me. You know, and sometimes in those moments, you know, we make excuses, the kind of excuses I made, right? Like excuses like, I'm too busy to stop, right? Like I got a lot to do, or they, they won't want to talk to me, or they don't care that I am interested. Uh, you know, I'll devalue others if I don't show up on time. Secretly, I was saying other people and my agenda is more important than them. And so in that moment, I heard that whisper that you sometimes hear from God. Not, not always an a, a audible voice, but just that nudge from the inside that said, what if I didn't bring you here for you? What if I brought you here for them? It was convicting. Have you ever had, um, I wish I would have given this to the folks who were doing the slides. Have you ever seen one of those optical illusions, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Those things where you look at it and initially you see an older woman and then you see the, the younger woman, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you see the, the duck, but then you see the bunny, right? Y'all remember those? Like, or you see a, a vase, 
but then you see the two faces, right? Like what's cool about those optical illusions is it's uh, sometimes impossible to see the second thing when you've already seen the first thing. But what's beautiful is when you can see them both. And so part of what I want to do today is just try to bring into dialogue a conversation that may be challenging, and for some of you it may be encouraging, as we sift through this whole idea of are we able to see. Like sometimes we like to move more into can I do or what can I do right now, when the reality is sometimes we don't do effectively if we can't see first, if we, if we can't see first. It's easy to go through the day and not see people. Here's the other harsh truth. It's sometimes easy to go through a day and not be seen. Yesterday I was invited to lunch and I had a chance of going to your dining hall. And, and let me just say, like, your dining hall is like a contact sport. I mean, it is... Um, <laughs> I mean, I thought I was like American Ninja Warrior type things, like having to go through obstacles. No, no, I'm just playing. Like you got an amazing staff, you got an amazing uh, group of students here. But one of the things that I realized like in that moment is like sometimes like in that space, I was reminded of the story I just told you. And, and I wondered if like people saw the student or the students, there were multiple that were sitting by themselves eating. I, I wondered if, if you were able to see the faculty member or the staff member that's new to the community that's trying to connect but trying to figure out how to do that. I, I wonder if you were able to see the person who was homesick already and it's only been a week. And, and there were people gathering and there were people laughing and there were people talking and there were people connecting and that, that's exactly what you're supposed to do in community. And so I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I, I had that moment again where I thought, is it possible that we're, we're trying to get to something, that we're trying to do something and maybe we've missed actually seeing, seeing each other. And so I, I speak to you today, not, not as an expert on this, not as someone who's arrived on this, but someone who's on the journey with you, asking some hard but important questions. And I want to ask you, are you, able, are you able to see? This message today is not to judge, it's not to point fingers, but it's to peer into a passage of Scripture that helps us to see that Jesus models seeing other people. So turn with me. Uh, it won't be on the screen necessarily, but Luke chapter 7, and it picks up on where Madeline left off with the scripture in Luke 14. I seem to be in Luke uh, quite a bit with you all. I was in Luke the last time I was here. Um, but Luke chapter 7, um, verse 36 is where we'll begin, and we'll spend some time going through the rest of this chapter uh, today. And I'll be reading from the NIV, and it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, somebody shout woman. woman. Now I'm one of those talk back kind of preachers. Somebody shout woman. woman. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus, somebody shout Jesus. Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, his feet weeping, she began 
uh, to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, somebody shout himself. himself. He didn't say it out loud. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So for a little while, I want to talk to you from this thought or from this subject. Can you see them? Now, I don't know about you, uh, but particularly when I was in undergrad, there were two um, hobbies outside of me being a student athlete that I enjoyed doing the most. Uh, one of them was playing video games. Come on, say amen to the video gamers out there. Um, the, the other was I love to play cards, right? Specifically, I love to play spades. Now, I'm not encouraging gambling. I know some of y'all got nervous already. That's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going with this. But those were just two hobbies that I enjoyed uh, as a pastime. And one of the things about playing cards is each different card game, there's some cards that are higher or more valuable in the card game than others. Now, you change the card game and what was low or not valuable in one game is high and more valuable in another game. Is anybody with me? And, and I think that's not just true of card games, but I've learned that it can be true of life, that we can devalue some and we can elevate others. We can say that some are more valuable in this space and not valuable in another. For some of you who just came to Asbury University, you were a senior. I mean, you were the the top of the top. I mean, you were the cream of the crop at your school, and then all of a sudden, you're a freshman again. <laughs> and what was valuable in one setting has now not has been as valued in another. And the reality is, that's life, right? We go through these ups and downs of people valuing us and people not valuing us, people seeing us and people not seeing us. And what I want to suggest to you is I want desperately for Asbury to be the kind of community that no matter what your classification, no matter what your major, no matter where you came from, no matter whether you're from the U.S. or not, that all of you have value, and this community sees everyone. That, that, is, that is my prayer. And there are a lot of things in our culture that keep us from seeing each other. Many of those things are, are named uh, in Scripture, and many of them are not named in Scripture. For example, you don't see words like racism and sexism and sizeism or ageism or ableism in Scripture. I could go on and on with the list, but there are things that exist in Scripture that help us to understand that there were people in some situations who were valued more than others. We don't see these isms in Scripture necessarily overtly, but we, we can see both in the Old Testament from Genesis with Joseph, the coat of many colors, all the way to James 2, where it talks about favoritism, that the Bible is not silent about these things, but that the word favoritism or seeing favoritism or ethnocentrism is very central to many of the Scriptures that we read. People are valued in one space, devalued in another. So let me say three things about favoritism that I think is really important to note as we peer into this text today. Favoritism 
always devalues someone. Second thing to note, favoritism always elevates some at the expense of others. Third thing that's important to note is that favoritism causes us to focus on the wrong things. I do it. You do it. We all have done it. We may not see people the way God, the way God does. We may not see people in the imago day, in the image of God the way he wants us to. And in Jesus' day, the culture was very patriarchal, and women were usually regulated uh, as uh, or in sub- subordinate roles. Sometimes, sometimes women were even considered to be property in Jesus' day. There was a, a single story, and I talked about the single story the last time I was here. There was a single story of women uh, that men and communities embrace, and it has is, it is leaked into some of co- the cultures and societies that we are living in today. But God uh, 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 has this way of bringing things full circle. God has a way of speaking into the culture and allowing Scripture to help us to understand that that's not how God sees women. That's not how God sees us. And Luke and Jesus have this very powerful way of communicating uh, this revolutionary thought about who women were in the culture. So he elevates, Luke elevates women, both, uh, both in his gospel and in the book of Acts. He elevates and he empowers women. Luke, he affirms the marginalized and the forgotten. He, he helps us to see people that the culture wants to make invisible. And let me remind you that Luke's gospel is not a personal eye account uh, or witness account to, to the life of Jesus. He did not walk with Jesus. He's actually a companion of the Apostle Paul, and he hears these stories as he's walking with Paul. He hears these stories as he's listening to the the, the disciples that walk with Jesus, and he pins what we know as this gospel. He pins what he experiences in the early church for us to reflect on and for us to understand. Some other things we need to make note of about what Luke helps us to see about women. Women are not second-class citizens. They they were witnesses of Jesus. uh, They were the first witnesses of Jesus's resurrection. Uh, Women willingly sacrificed their money, their lives, and their reputations for the gospel. Women were in prominent roles within the early church. Women primarily funded the ministries of both Jesus and Paul. Can I keep going? Uh, They were business women. They were homemakers. They were philanthropists. They were social outcasts. They were mothers, single women, married women, and widows. They, They were disciples, prophets, evangelists, church planters, and missionaries. If you are a woman, somebody say a woman, woman in the room, don't believe the lie that the Bible is anti-woman. Women played a vital role then, women play a vital role now. Uh, I'll never forget, I was invited to uh, speak at a a youth retreat, and a friend of mine uh, said, man, I feel like you can you know, share a word with my students. And so I was like, all right, I got you. And uh, right before I was supposed to come down, we're talking about kind of last minute stuff. And he says, oh man, I forgot to tell you, the retreat is actually a hoedown. I said, a ho what? He said, it's actually a hoedown. I ain't never been to a hoedown before. I grew up in the hood. And so I start Googling what a hoedown was. I, like, I didn't even spell it right the first time. I'm like, what is a hoedown? And I finally get to what a hoedown is. And I'm like, oh. That's a hold down. 
And I was like, you sure you got the right person? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know me. He's like, oh man, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so I was ministering in uh, Michigan at that time, and I grew up in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, when you call for snow, like it don't even have to snow a flake, but if you call for snow, everything shut down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, but in Michigan, it can be a foot two feet of snow and stuff is still happening. And I'm thinking, surely this thing is going to get canceled. It's been snowing for two days. And he's like, nah, we on, come on down. And so I do what I normally did. I took students with me who felt called to youth ministry. I go to this youth retreat and I asked them while we're driving down, y'all ever been to a hoedown before? And they was like, nope. And I was like, we can all check this off the bucket list because we going to one. And so we get down there to the hoedown and y'all, I'm walking up to the door and I hear it country music. <laughs> I mean, the people got on hats and cowboy hats and bandanas and butt buckles, butt buckles, I'm not even saying it right, y'all know what I'm saying, belt buckles, and they got on big old boots, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what have I got myself into? And they out there do si doing, And I start looking around the room, I'm like, is there anybody in the room that looks like me? Is there anybody? And, and there were two of us. <laughs> and I brought the other one. I mean, it was like, what? I got myself into. Long story short, um, I get out there and I start dancing. I'm dosy doing, I'm screaming, I'm, you know, I'm do- here's my question. How many of y'all have been to a hoedown before? Do they usually play the electric um, slide and the Cupid shuffle at hoedowns? I think they did that because I was there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, but I preached a simple message about God's grace, and 12 students give their life to Christ that night. I wasn't sure if I should be there. I wasn't sure if I was going to be relevant. I wasn't sure if they were going to hear the message from me. I wasn't sure if I could be myself. I just was not sure. And all of these biases that I had on the inside, some of them that I weren't even aware of, like they started showing up in this moment where God is asking me to do something for him. And what I've learned sometimes is sometimes the the, the issue is not always on the outside. Sometimes the issue is on the inside and that we sometimes have to expose our biases so that God can use us more effectively. Now, you may be asking the question, like, why am I spending so much of my energy leading up to this passage talking about women? Uh, The the reality is I want to use this woman as a a case study for our conversation uh, today, and it reveals to us a principle that we can apply in other situations. Uh, I'm trying to model that you don't have to be in a certain category to help provide balance of story and be an advocate for others. I don't have to be a woman to stand with them. I don't have to be a woman to speak up about the inequities that I see that need to be addressed. I don't have to wait for a woman to be vulnerable and and expose her scars for me to believe her story. I, I don't need to always ask her to teach me that sometimes I need to be willing to do my own homework and learn myself. I don't have to wait for it to become popular for me to agree with my sister and know that her experience is different from mine. Let the sister say amen. Amen. To make it plain, I don't have to be anti-men to be pro-women. Now let's transfer this, this principle to other groups. If you're white, you don't have to be a person of color to stand with us. If you're a person of means, you don't have to be poor to stand with the poor. If you're a U.S. citizen, you don't have to be undocumented to stand with those who are. Why are we waiting for someone else? Use your voice to speak up when you recognize that others are not being seen. 
So let's turn our attention back to Luke chapter 7, where we find this woman and two men. One man who favors some of his guests and another who confronts this religious leader's favoritism. Now, let me try to paint a picture of what's happening here. Jesus has been invited by this Pharisee who is named Simon uh, to be a guest uh, in his home. Jesus is reclining at the table. Jesus' feet are sticking out from the table. The least of the servants of the host would have the task of washing the guest's feet. The other poor people or, or marginalized in the room uh, at these types of parties would gather along the periphery of the room, but only to watch and eventually eat the scraps that were left over when the favored guests were done. The news of Jesus's presence at the party somehow, I don't know how, I mean, they didn't have Snapchat, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook, but somehow the message gets to this woman that Jesus is there. And so she shows up and they use code language to describe her. They say that her sinful life, that's code language for she was a prostitute, that somehow her profession and her reputation seemed to go before even her name because her name is not even mentioned here. I think somebody knew her name. I think Simon knew her name. I'm sure some of the other men in the crowd knew her name. But when you have a singular story of some people, sometimes all you see them as is a category. When you're not one of the favored guests, you are just a nameless part of another people group. But maybe, maybe there's something more, uh, maybe, maybe there's something a little bit more complex about why Luke didn't mention her name. What I've learned about Scripture is when a name is not given, oftentimes it is because we are supposed to insert our names. It's because that person, that nameless person may represent us, that, that we could, any of us could be that person. Maybe that's what's happening. But when this nameless woman found out that Jesus was there, she grabbed a jar of expensive perfume. She enters the room and finds Jesus at this table. She becomes overcome with gratitude and emotion because she couldn't thank him appropriately when he healed her earlier in this book. But now she has uh, uh, the ability and the time to say thank you in her own way. So as Jesus reclines, he is overtaken by both the blessing and the baptism of her tears. Now, that's good preaching. Somebody say amen. Uh, but she probably, she probably didn't come into the room with this plan. I mean, she didn't even have a towel. And she's so overwhelmed with gratitude, she begins kissing his feet. She's kissing the feet of a grown man who has been walking through dust and dirt and dung. Y'all know what dung is. Come on, say amen, somebody. I, I, I know it seems gross uh, to us and scandalous to Simon's guests. Uh, we'd flip out if that happened in chapel today. This is completely over the top. This was making people nervous. It was making everybody uncomfortable. And interestingly, Jesus does not stop her. He does not push her away because it's awkward for others. 
He lets her continue, and now his feet are all wet, and she sees it, and she doesn't have a towel, so what is she going to do? She does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair. Oh, if you understand, culturally in this day, it was shameful for a woman to let down her hair in the presence of a man who was not her husband. In our culture, it would be like someone taking their pants down in public. Maybe she's broken the social rule before privately, but for all the wrong reasons, but now she's doing it publicly. But this was different. This man was different. She doesn't seem to care what people think because she is in the presence of the one who healed her. She's in the presence of the one who spoke truth to her. She's in the presence of the one who sees her. Oh, is anybody getting this? Is, he, is anybody seeing this? So now, now, she has this one last thing to do. This expensive box filled with perfume has probably been purchased uh, by the money she earned with her scandalous uh, occupation. It is her sins in a bottle, if you will. She, she pours out everything she has on the feet of Jesus. But I love what Jesus does. He lets her continue. He knows the singular story that people have of her. He knows that people don't see her. He knows that they can't see past both her her profession or her past, probably because some of them secretly have been a part of her past. Come on, say amen, somebody. The expensive perfume released a fragrance in the room that everybody could smell. Have you ever burnt popcorn? And that smell filled the house, and you're trying to figure out how to get it out. You opening up windows, you turning on ceiling fans, you got the, the fan on on the stove. You can't get that smell out for nothing. And you're trying to get it out before it gets upstairs or downstairs where other people can smell it. That's kind of what happens in this story. She opens this box, and the smell filled the room. If what she was doing, she was doing in secret before, now everybody's paying attention. Everybody's looking, including Simon. And watch what happens in verse 40. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, uh, Simon's been thinking this stuff in his heart. He hasn't said anything, but Jesus answered, I tell you this. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, I guess, maybe. Are y'all seeing this? Like, like he's like, oh, come on now, Simon. Like, you know the answer to this. Jesus tells him a story that he already knows the answer to because what Simon sees, Simon actually sees an opportunity, right? I, I'm going to have a celebrity. I'm going to have somebody important. I'm going to elevate this guy and bring him to my house. He, he sees a Jesus as this, this prophet, this important person. And, you know, I'm going to have a party, and it's really going to be about me, not about Jesus. And then he sees this woman as a sinner, someone that does not add any value to him. But Jesus, in this moment, as he begins to confront Simon, he affirms this woman with his actions by focusing on Simon's failure first. He doesn't say a word to the woman yet. When he corrects Simon, he sends a signal to the woman and to their guests. He basically says to her, he wants to say to, uh, what he wants to say to anybody who's living on the margins today, I see you. I see your pain. I see that you're misunderstood. They don't see you, but I do. Watch what it says in verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman now. But he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Will you see people 
the way Jesus does. Simon thinks he sees her, but he doesn't. Simon sees a prostitute. Simon sees sin. Simon sees a woman. Simon sees categories. Simon doesn't see her, but, but Jesus does. Now, here's the principle that I'm, I'm trying to get to to finish out. You sometimes get what you give. When you learn to see other people more, people will start to see you more. Let me say that again because that's good. When you learn to see other people more, more people will begin to see you. I'm just giving you this few things. I just want to give you some practical stuff to remember as, as we leave of, of ways that you can help see other people. One thing is you can ask good questions. I learned this from Dennis Jackson, who's the uh, Global Partners Executive Director of my movement, the Wesleyan Church. Um, there are questions that you can ask. Things like, you know, my name is, tell me, tell me your name. What's your name? Sometimes you can start the conversation just finding out what somebody's name is. The second thing is tell me where you live. Like where or where else have you lived? Like sometimes people uh, want to talk about where they're from. They want to talk about their community. Just ask people, where, you, where, where have you lived? Uh, a third question you can ask is tell me about your family. Like most people want to talk about their family. Now some people don't, <laughs> but most people do. Another question you can ask is like how do you spend your time? Most people want to talk about themselves and what they like to do. The fifth question that I've learned to ask is, how can I best pray for you? Sometimes people begin to open up, even strangers when I'm on airplanes, strangers when I'm at spaces like this, how can I best pray for you? Sometimes people tell you more than you expect. The other thing we can do is we can pray for the eyes to see people the way God does. We, we can remember our own brokenness and our need for God, and we can be an advocate for others with conviction and compassion.